Are you glad to be here? And I'm very glad that you're here too. Let's uh, we'll get right into today. God, thank you, Lord, for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for speaking to us. God, thank you for your generous love. God, pray again, once again, you speak to us. Holy Spirit, you open our hearts, you open our minds, we you have the mind of Christ. Lord, if you hear the Spirit of the Son of the Church, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, today's the last message in the series, but I just want to pause and just put a moment here and um, just kind of bring up to attention as a church body just the things that are going on in the world. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, I might say something at a later date, but um, just to be remembering, and most of you are watching the news, you're tracking along with the things that are happening um, in Iraq, um, this terror group that is just kind of literally terrorizing many, many people. Um, this is unlike anything that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, I'm sure people that were here in World War II and the Holocaust, those kinds of things are going on, they would be able to say that they would do something similar. But just the systematic killing of Christians, and not just Christians, the killing of people, not going there. Um, but it's just an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable atrocity that is going on. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us to remember those who are being persecuted, who are suffering. It's very easy for us to be here, and, 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 and just by the grace of God, I mean, that we literally live the peace that we have. Um, you know, we somewhat, and everyone kind of understands that we somewhat live in a bubble, and, you know, uh, we can't really understand or relate to that. But it's amazing what literally people are going through right now. Three hometowns, three of the largest cities in Iraq and Syria, trying to escape, and they're uh, turning into refugee camps. Some of them, it's, you know, it, it, it literally seems somewhat of what happened in the first century. They're literally rounding up Christians and killing them systematically and to convert or, you know, renounce their faith. And some of them are watching the children being killed right in front of them because they won't recant their faith, or even if they do, they're just kind of killing them anyway. Um, but I think of what God's doing in the midst of it. Jesus preaches before me, Jesus passes, and he proceeds to the issue of this, is that, that if there's coming, there'll be a darkness of the earth and a deep darkness over the people. And I think we're seeing it. And when you watch it, 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 it can be an easy thing to lose hope and say, what in the world is happening and to lose heart? But I think that if you, again, darkness over the earth, deep darkness the people, but the light will come. And that is where we, as believers, even now, that we say, God, help us to be who you have called us to be, and to pray for them. Their faith, those people's faith, it is to the test, and it's amazing that it is the test of the value of their faith. And it, it's the ultimate test of how valuable is your faith, how valuable is Jesus to you. And that's the ultimate test. 
I think that it's a sobering reminder to us not to take for granted what we have in Christ Jesus. And that we are called to be a light, we are called to be salt light on the earth, spread the gospel of Christ in the come. And you see how the enemy has so crept into the Western church where we have been apathetic and we've been complacent and, and just our faith is kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. And you think about what those people are going to do and how valuable and how precious what Paul says. It's just, that compared to you, Jesus, compared to knowing Christ, everything else is tragic. That's why he could say that the suffering that he went through, being beaten, being imprisoned, he said it's all, it's all light and momentary afflictions compared to the glory of knowing you. Knowing Jesus. So pray for those precious people. Pray for the peace of Israel and Jerusalem. We're told to do that in Scripture. We are to pray for the Jews, but pray for the Palestinians as well. Pray for all the God so love the world that He gave us. And I read a couple weeks ago this one guy says, "Huh, they're kind of their prayer offers all to the people of ISIS." And again, it's easy just to say, you know, um, wipe them out. And, I, and I'm all for defending ourselves. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take military action, but we also in the midst of it pray for those people. Because there was a man named Paul who was called Saul. If you read about the accounts that he rounded up Christians and had them killed, and then ended up coming to Christ Jesus, shining the light, confronts them, and he writes the majority of the New Testament. And he was systematically rounding up Christians to have them stoned to death. Pray for people like that. Pray that they will have encounters with Jesus. Pray for those precious people that are going through it. So that's the kind of mind. That's the truth. God help us. Uh, today's the last message in our series. I did say that if you would be with me, she told me that they are the boys who have been to us and have settled on the of the world and the weather. So if you would be your mom, you would be with me today. So I'm going to be um, stopping along and preaching the message today. And I pray again that our hearts will be open to hear what God is saying to us again. We've been talking questions that you submitted um, to do. If you've not been here, um, what the beginning of the summer had, um, just folks in the congregation submitted questions to me and, uh, and some I had speakers of my life is going on this week. Um, but we've just been tackling these questions that you have submitted from a biblical perspective. It's not, so what do you think? Um, it, I, I don't really care that to give you information of what I think in my opinion. Um, so I, I've been digging in the scriptures and, and saying, God, what are you saying? What do you say to the Bible? Uh, because ultimately, the, the Word of God is where we find the answer to the question. And that as believers in Christ, that should be our standard, that should be our foundation. Always, not experience, but by the Bible. God, what are you saying? That's why He gave us the Word of God. That's why it says in the Bible that the Word of God is alive and powerful, stronger than any two edged sword. It divides it it asunder what is a flesh, what is a spirit, what is a God. It is the souls of the Satan. And then Paul says to Timothy, he says, you know, um, you know the, the Word of God it, it, is, it is true, it is, it, is, um, it is used for reproof, correction, so it, it, can, it can course correct us when we veer off that the Word of God. 
It should be our standard. It should be our foundation. Truth. So we're going to jump right into today. Um, I just titled this message "The Holy Spirit" because it's going to be going to be a little bit about covering several questions that were submitted about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, within that, we're going to be it's going to be it's going to be a lot of information. I pray that we track along and hear from Scripture, hear from the heart of God. But we're spiritual gifts, spiritual warfare. And specifically, there were some questions asked about tongues and where we stand on tongues and interpretation of tongues and, and again, spiritual gifts in general, but there were some specific questions about that. So we're going to cover these topics as we go along, but uh, again, I wanted to give a good, thorough picture of the Holy Spirit, His ministry, what Jesus said about Him, and what we believe to be the church's doctrine or stance on the Holy Spirit based on the whole council of Scripture. So that's what we want to do. So a lot of this material I shared when we went through the story on the chapter about the Holy Spirit. So you guys were here, so that if you were here, you'll be familiar with that first, the first part. But I wanted to use some of that just as a setup, as a foundation. Um, so whoever asked this question told a little bit on themselves that they weren't here or not in that message. So. Asked the question, I'm like, well, I can answer that question, but so they weren't here. So, told them themselves, but that's okay. And they may not be here today. I don't know who's coming. I knew I didn't know some of the questions because, like, somebody handed it to me or we got one in the mail. So, uh, and I saw the name. So, uh, but most of these I don't know. So, hopefully, the people that are here to ask the questions are here. If not, I hope they don't ask those questions today. So we can just refer them to the website and say, listen, get a CD, um, because, uh, again, uh, what, what we're going to do today. So I, care, I, I covered some of this material in the story, but again, I think that some of it's foundational, but I will get into more specifics after, after that. So first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Some people fear, you know, they, they, they understand they can kind of cognitively, emotionally, so I get God the Father, the Father the Creator, I get Jesus the Son who came to the earth, and, you know, Christmas story died on the cross. I'm just talking about basic information. Sometimes when we mention the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, as He's called Him, sometimes that's just like people go, whoa, 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 whoa. Now we're, now we're getting kind of, it sounds kind of strange. Um, it doesn't have to be. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Triune God, um, what we call the Trinity, the Triune God, equally God, Three distinct roles in the Godhead. Um, he is an, an it. Uh, the Holy Spirit should be worshipped, should be honored, should be prayed to, just as we would the Father and Jesus. And so, um, I'm not going to uh, give you an exhaustive thing, but a lot of people go, well, okay, we see him in the, the New Testament. Come, where was he in the Old Testament? He was there. He was there. It was not in the fullness that he would be when Jesus ascended. Remember when Jesus ascended, we didn't have the moment. And he sent the Holy Spirit. He was in a limited role in the Old Testament, but he was there. He was on the earth. He was moving and ministering. That you have him, you have the triune God at creation. Um, when it says, even when they were creating man, it says, let us make man in our image. So there's a plural there. And then, it, uh, even before that, when it says that darkness covered the earth, you know, the, the, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the earth, and it says the spirit was covering over the face of the deep. God spoke, let there be light. 
And you see the spirit involved in creation. So he's there. Um, other places, Genesis 4, 41, 38, it says the Holy Spirit gave Joseph skill to rule Egypt. And you can look these up. If you're taking notes and encourage you to, that's great. Um, you're going to be reading the right fast. Some of the passages will be up here. Um, Numbers 27, 18, because the Spirit gave Joshua military power. Um, so you, most of you probably familiar with Samson. It says that the Holy Spirit would come upon Samson and he would do supernatural exploits of strength. Um, even Jesus, again, before he um, uh, ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Mary? How will this be? I'm a virgin. Um, I don't understand how this works. And, and the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive a son and call him Jesus. And then, uh, then we're told that Jesus was raised to life through the power of the Spirit. And so you see his work there. So he would bear the limited role, but his fullness would come in Acts 2. Um, so that's just kind of that set up. Then it's very important, very important to ask, what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? I think that is essential, and a lot of times we miss out and we forget what Jesus said would be the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because he spoke about the Holy Spirit. He's encouraging the disciples, and, and I'm going to show you a couple of passages um, when he's talking about leaving, and they can't get their mind around, what do you mean leaving? I thought you were the king, I thought you were going to take over, and I thought this and that, and he said, no, it's good that I go away, because then the Spirit will come, and he will fill your heart, and so it's important to look foundationally at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And so, even as we look at what the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, is in the church, so let's look at a couple of those. Um, this is just excerpt from John 14. Again, this is Jesus before he's arrested. He's getting ready to go to the cross, and so he's talking to him about a lot of different things. And so this is an excerpt from John 14. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Because he names him that. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So on the earth, Jesus, remember, on the gospel, he's teaching and he's saying, this will, he will remind you. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives, do not let your heart be trouble, and do not be afraid. Okay, that's in 14. A couple chapters later, he's still talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, Here's what he says. He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So he's going to come as a convicting power when people feel conviction. Not staying in condemnation and guilt for me, but loving conviction. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the sense of this world now stands condemned. But when he... The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus is saying. He says, he'll glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And then dropping down Acts 1 8, this is right before Jesus ascends to the Father. Acts 1. Eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So there we have Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He's passing this. He's telling us what He will do. And so just as a list, He's going to help us. The Holy Spirit will be with us. He's going to teach us and remind us of what Jesus said. He'll give us peace. He will be our counselor. He will convict us sin and remind us of Christ's redemption. He will guide us to truth. Who said He was the truth? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit guides us to truth. The Holy Spirit is always guiding us to Christ. He points to Christ all the time. He even says this. Now here's the, the third member of the triune God who has authority in and of himself, but he says he does not speak on his own behalf. That's very important. So there's structure and authority in the Godhead. Jesus said it on the earth. He said, I only do what I see the Father do. He didn't say, well, I'm the Son and I'm going to do this. He would say, Father, what do you want me to do? The Holy Spirit does the same thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't work on his own behalf. Jesus, what are you saying? I'm going to guide them to you. I'm going to guide them to you to be a structure in the Godhead. And he brings glory to Jesus in all that he does. So even in us, with his work in us, he will glorify Jesus. We want Jesus to get glory in all that happens in us. Not us getting glory, Jesus. And then he gives power to be witnesses of Jesus. And that's ultimately the big overarching, it should be the overarching message and mission of the church is to be witnesses of Christ, to point people to Jesus in all that we do, the way we act, the way we think, the way we respond. We should be pointing Christ, glorifying Jesus, that people see something. So that's what the Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit comes in fullness in Acts 2. Again, in Acts 1, remember, Jesus says, go, um, go to the upper room, this place in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Spirit. So they go to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting because the historical context of what's going on, I think it's very important as we're talking about what happens here, that, of, of what's really going on. People from all over had gathered for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. This whole idea of, you know, Pentecost, you know, the, the day of Pentecost. And so people of all over were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, which is an Old Covenant, Old Testament feast. Interestingly enough, of what they would do at the Feast of Pentecost, one of the things they did was they would celebrate the harvest. And so you would celebrate the harvest, um, you know, it's just you like us having a gigantic party in, in October, November here when, when our farmers are bringing in the harvest. That was a part of the Feast of Pentecost, they would celebrate the harvest. Isn't it interesting that on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and 3,000 people get sick? There's a harvest of souls. Remember when Jesus was teaching in the gospel and he said the harvest is right, people, people need to come and there the people are the harvest, souls are the harvest. And so they're celebrating Pentecost where they just celebrate the, the actual literal harvest and then 3,000 people come to know Christ on that day. Not by accident. So they gather there. The birth, this is also the birthplace of the church, but it was also a time to remember when Moses went up to the mountain to receive the law. And what happened when he went up there? Remember the rumbling and the lightning and the thunder and all that was going on, the shaking? When he received the law, he went up. It's very important as we look at this. So, let's go to Acts 2. Here's what it says. So they gathered. They really don't know what to expect. Jesus says, go, the promise of the Holy Spirit is coming. 
Um, while they're there, there's, uh, there's, about, there's about 500 people, or there's, there's 500 people that, that, that Jesus showed himself to. You have 120 in the upper room. And so they, they're there, the, the, the disciples, they, they're not quite sure what to do. They have a business meeting there. They, 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 uh, they appoint a new disciple to take the place of Judas. So they're doing that and they're waiting. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, so it was only the day of Pentecost they were together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So this supernatural phenomenon going on. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears from our own native language? And then there's this list of people who are not going to read that. Because we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And these are the they ask one another, What does this mean? Some, however, they may find them. They said they've had too much wine. So you have a lot going on here. So the promise of the Holy Spirit comes, the church is born. What you have is the church starting by a wildfire. Wind and fire, a supernatural phenomenon happening. It, interestingly enough, it resembled when Moses went up to the mountain to receive the law. Moses goes up the mountain, right? There's thunder and lightning. There's rumbling going on. He receives the law and he brings it back down, right? Isn't it interesting? Jesus goes up. The Holy Spirit comes down. There's wind. There's fire. And it's this revelation to speak to the people who have gathered there. They said, hey, this feast that you're celebrating... This feast of Pentecost that you're celebrating, remember all this, where we remember the harvest, and we remember when Moses went to get the law? This Jesus who just left, he is the fulfillment of the law, and the Spirit has come, and it was a powerful sign and wonder to say that Jesus was who he said he was. And so it comes, and this resembles somewhat of the phenomenon that happened with Moses. So he's the living word. And he sent the Holy Spirit to testify as an upland. He was the fulfillment of the law. The people gathered in the room were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak supernaturally in the languages of the different people who had gathered in Jerusalem. So there was purpose behind even the tongues that were being spoken. They had a supernatural ability to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in languages that they had never learned. So it was very much a supernatural ability. So they... People were perplexed, wondering what was happening. Some were even critical. These people were crazy and drunk. What's going on? But it was known languages. All these people had gathered in. And you can see the purpose of Christ, the purpose of that initial thing of the Holy Spirit was to testify Christ. It was the gospel. And then what was going to happen was this group of people, they heard the gospel. They would go home to that and they would begin to proclaim Jesus. And these people, and these people, and, and then you could see the church beginning in a wildfire. That was the purpose. It was intentional. It was not tongues that were unknown to anyone. They were languages of the earth. Supernaturally having the ability to speak in languages that they had never learned. But it was, it was 
It was known languages, understandable languages. Interestingly enough, this never happens again. Um, and so again, we must be very careful not to look at events like this and make it the norm or a formula because the Bible does not. We do see the Spirit's power come and manifest in different ways, but this event was to fulfill the original Pentecost and burnt the church to fulfill what Jesus said. Gather together, wait for the Holy Spirit. He will come on you, and you will be my witnesses to the nations gathered. Again, the tongues that were being spoken were known languages. The Greek word here for speaking in tongues is called xenoglossa. It means known languages. Known languages. That was what was happening in Acts 2. There again, it wasn't intended to be a formula. And one of the questions that was asked is, why don't we lay hands on people here for the baptism of the Spirit and, and to speak in tongues? That was one of the questions. In the, in, because you can take, there's, there's a place in Acts, I think it's 8, 17, I'm going to read 19. Three other places in Acts where you have apostles coming, they lay hands on people, they receive the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues, known languages. That's the Greek there. You can, you can study it if you want to. They were, and so the intention was in Acts, you have this historical period to say it was a continuation of what had happened in the upper room uh, when, when they received the say. Now, because in those three events, it was upon the Gentiles. Interestingly enough, one of those events, Philip, who was a deacon of the church, went and he led the group to Christ. And then they call for the apostles. Peter comes, and he lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Why is that? It was to proclaim to the Jews and the apostles that this, what happened, was not just for you. This was for all people, the Gentiles. That the Holy Spirit would come in power. But they spoke known tongues. Um, here's what it says in Acts. Got ahead of myself. Sorry. Boy, we were real. Wow, this thing is good. I love technology. All right, we'll get in that for a moment. All right, I don't have that in my phone. This is absolutely While Apollos was at Corinth, this is Paul. Paul had been converted. He took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, I replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, water baptized. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in Zenoglossa, known languages, and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And, and, and so, again, somebody looks at this and says, well, isn't that a normal formula to impart the Holy Spirit? No, it isn't. The first disciples received the Holy Spirit. They had the ability to do this. And so, again, they, listen to what he says. In what baptism had he been baptized with? They said the baptism of John, John the Baptist. And so they had been baptized under the Old Covenant. Jesus had not ascended to the Father yet. And so Jesus is, uh, or Paul is saying, we're under a new covenant now. And again, this imparting was a continuation of Acts 2 to give the Holy Spirit in this way to 
against Frederick's church in that early time. It wasn't intended to be a formula. How do I know that? Because if you look at the whole council of scripture, we'll get into a moment of what is said about the Holy Spirit and his ministry. These are only isolated events that, again, the apostles were there. In fact, if it was a formalist, you don't have a record of those followers in the upper room laying their hand on the masses that day of Pentecost to receive the Holy Spirit. Peter doesn't say, now that you've repented, you must have us lay our hands on you to give you the Holy Spirit to keep the tongue. He doesn't do that. Here's what he does say, and this, again, is right here in Scripture. We have here how to receive or be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us that in 37, 39. Remember, he's preaching this message. So the Holy Spirit comes there. A lot of people are declaring in known languages, and then people, uh, the people are gathering. There's a lot of people. Peter begins to preach, and here's what he says. When the people heard this, heard this message, they were cut apart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, water baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so he says, Repent, turn from your sins, surrender to Christ, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Spirit. Because he does not say, he does not continue in the message and say, now we're going to give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He does not make a distinction there. He says, when you do this and you sincerely you surrender, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a setup, there's kind of the foundation for where we're going today. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, I'm going to share a little bit um, of my own part. Athena and I both are third generation, what we call Pentecostal, the denominational affiliation. You know, that, that, that word, are, are, are you Pentecostal? Um, I don't like names or labels or anything like that. Um, first of all, you need to know, uh, I, I, we love the Holy Spirit. We worship Him, we pray to Him. We love His move. We should be asking for His power and His gift. We're going to get into how to do that. We love absolutely love the Holy Spirit. And we encourage other people to love the Holy Spirit. We grew up in, 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 in the buckle of the Bible Belt. For the Bible Belt, we were in the buckle. We were in the heartbeat of Pentecostalism. Uh, the denomination we grew up had ties, straight, straight ties to the Susan Street, um, and we grew up in that. Um, the things that we saw growing up, again, uh, we, we, we saw lots of different patterns. And the, what, what we were taught was this, that you get saved and that's an event. And, you know, you ask Jesus in your heart, and again, I'm, there's no altar calls in the Bible either. And, we, you know, and I'm going to get into that, but follow the Christ. You ask Jesus in your heart, saved, then we would say sanctified, and that was was almost an event that was put in filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a separate event. And we were taught that. We were taught this. 
in our denomination. You are not filled with the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. That was what we were taught. It's part of the doctrine of the church that we grew up in. You are not filled with the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. That's the evidence that you're filled with the Spirit. And so in my life, you know, when I'm growing up and you see lots of different things, um, the hard part of that is, is that you feel like that there was a treating of the Holy Spirit by events. That you speak in tongues, that means you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw, so, I mean, again, we Southern Pentecostal. I can't, I can't stress that to you enough. We grew up in, we saw some wild things happening in the church. I mean, crazy things happening in church. Running, screaming, falling, shaking. One lady would get happy and she would do this and her beehive would come apart. And, and you would hear body pans hitting the wall. And, I mean, you would hear it. You'd diving for cover, you know, I got in like, I don't want to take one of those in the eye. And so we saw this, and, and it was really about, like, these events. And, uh, and, and so, and the reason why I'm saying this is like, because I'm trying to track you along with where the line is, just kind of searching my heart, searching the scriptures, asking the Lord, what are, you, what are you saying? Because I remember as a teenager, there were some cynical things that kind of crept in my heart, and I had to deal with that, and, and, and the Lord dealt with me on cynicism because you would see a conflict, and you would see maybe what we call the, well, the Holy Spirit really moved today. And they would, it was funny because they would determine that as like if, if the Holy Spirit moved and the preacher didn't get the preach, we would say the Holy Spirit really moved that day. And I'm like, hey, the pastor, like, hmm. Get him out of the way. We don't want anything for playing. We're just going to have the spirit move. But I begin to see, as a teenager, a contradiction and character and these Sunday night meetings where it was just crazy things going on down in the altar area. And then, then you would see people's lives and it didn't align. And I'm not saying everybody. I'm not trying to make blanket statements, but you would just see them. I'm like, but man, if that's the power, if that's the power of the Holy Spirit, what happens? over here in the mundane and you see them making tragic choices and, and something that's not aligning with that and then they would make, and you'd see it. And, and then Sunday, Sunday night again, they'd be down here and, 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 and we would even almost, you know, some of, the, like some of the students in our youth group, we would elevate them and say, this guy is really passionate. And man, he's really on fire. And I knew that guy. But the, because, he, because he tended to make it a show or make it about himself, and people would go, man, give that guy the mic, and this guy would just, blah, 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 and people would be jumping up and dancing, going crazy. I'm like, I know that guy. He's having sex with his girlfriend. This doesn't make sense to me. This is hard for me. What is this? It's living in sin, and yet this. We start with ministers. And I'm, not, I, I'm not saying that it's I'm making blanket statements. There's some wonderful people that you love God. I'm just trying to paint a little bit of a picture to you, or, or that ministers and other people can't be hypocrites too. We have hypocrites all over the place. But one, one heartbreaking thing in particular was one of the pastors that we had um, when, when, when I came over newly married, and this is a large church, it's like the mothership church where we were at, 
large church, mega church, pastor, man, he could preach. He could preach the house thing. And during that, you know, where people responding, and you're having the power, so-called power, move the spirit, and he would be up, you know, lots of stuff going on, and he's, you know, praying out in tongues, and there's all this stuff going on, and this one, this is one, this is one of those events that kind of almost, I would say, shoved me over the cliff to really begin searching my own heart on this. Because the guy could preach, he could, man, he could just really draw people in and do different things, and... And then we found out that he had been in a year-long affair with a woman that he'd been counseling. All the while, he's up here on Sunday morning. And I remember thinking, what is this? Is it just the power of the Holy Spirit? We see that one of the ways the Holy Spirit does is convict us then that we should be brought to great conviction when we are away from God and we are doing our own thing. One of the moves and the work of the Holy Spirit should be to convict me of sin. And I'm thinking, how does he do that? And we've heard the stories of other people and other ministers. How does he preach up on stage each week and feel okay about that? Is that really the power of the Holy Spirit? And we saw other things. We I like to call them the Holy Ghost hyenas. People would come forward and they would just be these hyenas that would go out. Just zipping the verge on them and say, okay, you got to pick it up. And I remember seeing some of those when you were around. I remember being a part of one uh, at a camp one year and, and this, uh, this lady is hitting me in the face going, just let it go. Just let it go. And I remember going, is this God? Is this me? What is this? And this speaker tongues, do it, do it, do it. And I remember talking to friends and stuff one, and, and, and then having the same kind of response as you say, I don't know, I don't know what was going on, I don't know if that was me, I don't know, I just confused me. Unfortunately, some of the kids that we knew, preaching kids, because it was in the headquarters of the place that we were, the, the, the denomination was in the headquarters of hometown, so this church threw a lot of the executives, we had lots of pastors, kids, and a lot of them, I can tell you, I mean, knowing their lives now, a lot of them are like, driving off all we have. Bob is not following God. Again, I'm not saying it can't happen to other believers in other different walks. It can happen to anyone. But we saw manipulation. We saw control. We saw almost some of them bullying. Uh, you're going to get this, and people have to confused you. But what you saw is, 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 is there's a narrowing of the Holy Spirit tongues, an elevation of tongues that is all about tongues, and we would even exalt tongues over Jesus. And that's speaking tongues, and the tongues, 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 you're not filled with the Spirit unless you speak with tongues. There are some, and it's not my denomination, but there are some denominations that, are, that have ties to the Pentecostal, they would say this, and I know that you know, there'll be a little bit of a gasp, but they say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved, you're not even a Christian. There's some people that teach that. And they narrow it down to this thing. And I'm thinking the Holy Spirit is so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. And what we saw was we saw a lot of flesh glory drawing attention to ourselves. A lot of the demonstrative stuff was, and I'm not saying it was not something, God can do what God does, and I'm not diminishing that. 
there was a lot of stuff that was very fleshly and drawing attention to people or elevating giftedness or elevating people that seemed to be anointed or great and, 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 and then the attention was drawn to them of what was going on. And I'm thinking, the Holy Spirit is not testify of himself, he testified to Christ. This is the conflict. And we heard this thing of, well, I had no control because the Spirit took over. Now I see that in Scripture. I don't see it. So again, I, sharing what I was raised in, and so that it's not new to me. Pentecostalism is not new to me. But the Holy Spirit is so much more beautiful, so much bigger than just that. So what does it mean to be filled with spirit? What is kind of our doctrinal stance of the Holy Spirit's gifts, his work? Again, my heart is just a humble, teachable to what he wants to show us. But we have arrived at the place we have by looking at the whole council of Scripture. In Acts, you do have tongues mentioned. Again, that's the known languages. That's what was mentioned. The only other place in the New Testament that tongues is mentioned is in First Corinthians. And so we'll look at that as we tackle the other questions that were submitted specifically about tongues uh, and where we stand on, on tongues and spiritual gifts. But if speaking in tongues was the predominant manifestation that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, then we have to ask the question, why doesn't Paul talk about it to the other churches in the New Testament that he wrote letters to? He does speak a lot about the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in our life. But he only talks about tongues in one letter, First Corinthians. He doesn't mention it. Hebrews, there's no mention of it. James, in his letter, doesn't talk about it. Peter, in his two letters, doesn't mention it. John, in his three letters, doesn't mention it. And so I'm thinking that if it was of utmost importance, and if it was to the level of importance that we say it is, you would think at some point one of them would mention, don't forget, everyone should receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues as a And if they would give some clear direction on that in, as an ongoing thing. So let's look at the, the Scripture, what we're told about the Holy Spirit in First Corinthians 12, 13, 14, with the Lord of those words. Now, before we jump into that, it's interesting, you need, to, you need to talk about the Corinthians as a people. They were hedonistic. They were a lot like Americans. Whatever feels good, do that. Do that. They, were, they really were senses, taste, touch, sensational, sensual um, people. And so they were you know, very much hedonistic. In fact, in that, they would try to prove that they were better than others by my experience. They were very experienced. And so, some of these had crept into their walk with Jesus. And even spiritual gifts. And you'll hear as I read along, Paul dealing with them about that. So there's a right way to do this, but he, he speaks, speaks to them specifically concerning matters of the Holy Spirit. They were somewhat the charismatic of the day. So let's look at what Paul tells them. And it's these 
three chapters kind of in a row, and, 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 and excerpts from 12, excerpts from 13, and then we're going to really look at 14 for a First Corinthians 12, 4 through 14, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, is the same God work. Now to each one, the man who takes the Spirit is given for the common good. It's very important that we remember the common good. To one that is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, but we have a word of wisdom. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, it, it, you're, you're, you're talking to somebody and you just have something that is beyond, I wasn't thinking about this, I wasn't even, and it's a word of wisdom that, that speaks into something they might be going through. And then he says the word of knowledge, the second one, and it's just having supernatural but the Holy Spirit is there, you're ministering to somebody, and it's like, whoa, you know, that, that's pretty amazing, that, 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 how did you know that? Well, God knows that. So he's giving these words. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gift of healing by that one Spirit. Verse 10, to another miraculous power, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now again, if you just look at this list of what Paul is saying, if tongues were the most important, it's interesting that this is at the bottom of the list. And he says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one that is easy to receive it's his determination. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all has many, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is in Christ. So we were all baptized, this is very important, we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jesus and how so and we're all given the same or the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. In other words, there's lots of different parts of the body, lots of different functions, lots of different roles. And Paul says within that, the Holy Spirit will give gifts, and they will manifest differently, but it's all the same Spirit. And then he says there's one baptism, there's one Spirit, he mentions that. And it's as he gives, not as we give, different manifestations, different workings. Notice he doesn't mention there's a separate baptism. And so I, I don't see in Scripture that there was intended to be a separate baptism after salvation. I don't see it. Not based on Acts 2. You can't base it on Acts 2. The whole council is true. One baptism, Paul said. Let's continue in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And so he, again, he puts tongues at the bottom of that. And he says, and he asks this rhetorical question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work with miracles, do all have this experience, do all speak in tongues? And rhetorically saying, no, they don't. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And so he's going to show us the most excellent way to desire the greater gifts, what are the greater gifts, we're going to hear what the greater gifts are, and that's, Edifying others, building up others. In 
And so notice that tongues aren't mentioned as the chief gift of the utmost importance. So let's go to that most excellent way. Right after that, so he's talking to him about the parts of the body, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Again, he's put, for the Corinthian church, he's put tongues down at the bottom of the list. Then he says, if I'm speaking the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and by a faith and can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body the hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. But Paul here is these diminishing tongues as a priority. As we will see in a moment, there is a place for tongues. But he's speaking to this Corinthian church who has elevated tongues and forgotten love. And so I think scripturally you can state to say, tongues isn't the proof that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe Paul puts that argument to rest here. Tongues isn't even proof that you're really spiritual. He's saying love is. What's your motivation? And not just any love. He's talking about self-sacrificial, lay your life down, model Jesus kind of love. Because he's saying, there are, maybe a lot of you guys are speaking in tongues, but if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. In other words, that doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove anything. I shared this before when I did the story, but I've been dreamed where, where you know, I have friends or, or you hear people say this in the charismatic Pentecostal church where they will look at another church and that man is doing a great ministry, but they're not spiritual. Yeah, I know that guy, he's uh, that gal, they're great, great different people, but they're not spiritual. And we put this label, to me that's such pride and arrogance. I think it's going to be wrong. Who are we to say that? I've had, again, I've shared this, I've had a couple of friends in my life that were strong believers in Christ, loved Jesus with all their heart. One guy in particular, so convicting to be around. Guy would take great times and read his Bible, and the whole love just oozed out of his core. It was sickening. But he was just genuine, he was just very real, very authentic. And every time he and I would talk, I would feel so convicted because here I am, I'm, a, I'm the 18-year-old, I'm 19-year-old that goes to the Pentecostal church, and I've had all these experiences, and I'm sitting there thinking, and this is a part of my contradiction, I'm like, you know, because people would say, yeah, Gary, he's a great God, but he's not spiritual. And I'm thinking, what in the world is God filled with him? He's filled with something, and it doesn't look like a whole lot like what I'm filled with. Because I'm over here struggling, and I'm over here in the works of the class, man, and trying to be cool and still be a Christian and go something else because that story I told, I was as guilty as anybody. Experiences, experiences, and then doing my own thing. And Gary just was, I mean, the Holy Spirit, it was just convicting. And that, again, that one of the works of this is a conviction. Man, Paul has something. We have to be careful what we say. Who is spirit-filled who is not? Because what we've done when we say that is what we have done is elevated tongues, and then what we do is elevate ourselves. And 
I'm telling you, the church and the denomination grew up in it. Was, you look down your nose that they are not at, we are higher up the ladder. We didn't say it, but we, we acted like it. We treated people like it. We've got the fullness way up here, and you poor guys, and if you'll come up here, we can put the little whammy on you, and we'll give you what we've got. And they're thinking, I want anything we've got. We hurt people, and I've seen it. I know that I've seen it. Hurt people, wound people, because we feel like that we're way more spiritual. They're not spiritual. And I know that there are people that reject the move of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about, you know, that, that there's some people who say, I don't think the gift of the Spirit is all gone. It's all, you know, we just have the, the Word and only the Word. We don't need the Spirit anymore. And, I, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that really genuinely love God. They are walking in the Spirit. But what we have done is, because we've made tongues a badge, I can do this, and therefore I'm spiritual and prove something. So there's a proper use of tongues, individually and in the church. And so here's another question we have. We said, why don't we have speaking in tongues in the church like we used to do? Historically, again, there would be at times in the past where people would give a public declaration of tongues or the temptation of tongues. Um, but again, let's go to Scripture. And I know this is a little bit lengthy today, but I feel like it's important that we track along and find out what God is saying. And if you read First Corinthians 14, I don't know. To me, again, I think Paul is very clear of what he's getting at here, of what, how, how it should be used, how it should be used. Again, he's dealing with the Corinthians who were using spiritual gifts. They were, they were, they were uh, putting their spiritual gifts on display as, you know, like how spiritual they were. And he deals with them on this. And here's his heart being here. As we think about what is the place for tongues. This is quite lengthy, but in context, we need to read it. So he just gets through talking about self-sacrificial love in chapter 13. We all know that's a favorite wedding message, but he's talking about self-sacrificial, lay your life down, follow Jesus, model by Christ kind of love. That should be your aim, that should be your goal. And then he says, follow the way of love. In other words, let your motivation be love. That's one of the translations. Let your motivation be love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Especially prophecy. We're going to get into why he says that. So he says, you should desire. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where the spiritual gifts are no longer in existence. I'm not, I don't see that. He says you should desire them. But be motivated by love. Don't be motivated by selfishness. Don't be motivated by you looking good, you looking spiritual, and people talking about how awesome you are. But be motivated by self-sacrificial love, then desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves. Edifies the things build up. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. That's where we get that word common good. Let every common good. And remember, I'm saying, build up people, strengthen people, comfort them. That's a prophecy, that's a declaration of the word of the Lord. He said, otherwise, every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. So he's not saying you shouldn't do it. I'd rather, I, I wish all of you did. In other words, he's saying, I wish all of you did, but I understand not all of you do. 
But I'd rather that you prophesy. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring some revelation or knowledge of the or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things, that makes sense. If it's a pipe or heart, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound at his call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager for a gift of the Spirit, notice you think that you guys, you guys are really chomping at the bits of these things. Try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in the tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of inquiry say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And I love that Paul says that he, he, he believes in speaking in tongues. And what he's doing is dealing with their, this, 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 this kind of hierarchy thing that they are putting their spiritual gifts in display. He said, you guys just need to know it's competition I win. You know, I, I, I'm on like a team at this. But you notice what he's building up to me, and he gives a musical kind of analogy. He said, you know, like everybody's kind of doing their own thing, and there's no distinction in notes. He said, the intention is it to be harmonious to, so people can hear. But if you have the trumpet player playing one thing, and you have the guitar player playing one thing, and you have somebody else playing one thing, it's indistinguishable and it's confusing. And he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So it's not a competition, guys. If it is, go ahead and give me the trophy and stop arguing about that. And then he gives what I believe is the command to the church in a corporate setting the ideal. But in the church, Verse 19, but in the church, the corporate gathering, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And he says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be like adults. What is he saying? You guys are like kids on the playground. I'm more spiritual than you. No, I'm more spiritual than you. That's what he's saying. Because they have made this a competition. They have made this that. Well, I speak in tongues, so I'm higher up the ladder than you. And he's like, there is no ladder. Get off the ladder, stop acting like children. This is not a competition. And he's saying, follow love. That's what he, the whole basis of this is follow love. I said, in the church meeting, I'd rather you have five intelligible words. 
And so don't be like infants. It's the end of all speaking with other tongues and to the lips of foreigners. I will speak to the people. But even when they will not listen to you, the Lord tongues them are a sign not for believers, but unbelievers. People have confusion on what that means. Well, it's a sign. It's not necessarily okay. it's a good sign. They come in and this is a sign going on. And the prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone's speaking in tongues and inquires where unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Why would they say that? Again, because he said you're speaking mysteries to God, you're edifying yourself. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under the judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts to lay there. That's what we want. We want people to be in our midst, and we want people partially laid bare before the Lord. And that's why he says that the prophecy is so important, like when, when you have God come up, or what Carrie did this morning, it's just, it, 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 a word of knowledge is the prophetic gifts that are in operation in the church, that are speaking something that you hear, that can track, and the Holy Spirit moves and says, man, I grab you, that, that makes sense. And we've had people, testimony, but when people have that, that word that dug it, that word that carried it, it touched my heart, it did something, it was right where I was at, and it was something I was dealing with. That's what we want in the corporate setting. Is the Holy Spirit opens up the heart. And then he goes on to say this. He said, the secrets of the heart will go, so they will fall down and look to God explaining, God is among you. He's really among you. Shouldn't that be our goal? What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word, instruction, a revelation, a time, and interpretation? Everything must be done so the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in tongue two of the most three, speak one at a time, someone must interpret one. You can stop right there and say, well, isn't he saying you should be appropriate? I think he's not saying that. I'm saying, uh, if, if you look at the Corinthians, he says, if anyone speaks, if you, if you have to do it, if you're going to do it, don't be talking all over the top of each other, and don't be, don't make it chaotic. But I think he's given us the ideal in, in verse 19. I would rather, as the apostle, as the father of this church, I would rather have intelligent word, intelligible words, intelligible, as I say, in that time intelligible, intelligible words, so that he's partial over there in the Spirit speaking to them. And so then, again, you have to, that's not, again, this is not a formula, this is not a formula, you have to, two of them on three, let there be an interpreter, let people weigh out what's being said. Because he's even talking about where you get preference to other people. The first group of stop again. You can see they're talking all over the top of each other. They're having tongues and interpretation competitions and shouting each other down. He says, for you can all prophesy in terms that everyone may be instructed in the words. Don't use that on you taken over and controlled by the Holy Spirit and having control of myself. He said, verse 33, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. God's not God of discord. Some of the stories I'm sharing with you and some of the things that can happen, it seems more of disorder than peace. It even seems more chaotic than peaceful. And then, verses 34 and 35, he gets in kind of a cultural thing about women keeping signs in the church and not going to even deal with that. It's a cultural thing for the day. It doesn't follow us here. 
verse 36, he says, Or did the word of God originate with you? And he's dealing with the pride here. Are you the only people that it's reached? If anyone thinks that they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores it, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be near the prophet. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything can be done in a fitting and orderly way. And earlier in there, I didn't read that, but he says, prophecy is greater. I think you can read this, meditate on it, and see what he has done. So he's saying in the church, it's about the building up. It's about encouraging. It's about edifying others. Tongues are a mystery. They're used to build up oneself. And again, you have the preference, the ideal. In the church, there's a speak words of understanding so that these parts can be laid there and they can die with We need to be sensitive to new people, speakers, unbelievers. Because what does he say? If they come in and you're speaking in tongues, they're going to keep you lost their mind. That's what Paul says. But he says, don't forbid anyone speaking tongues. So I'm not here to say that it's the minute it's gone. I'm not forbidding anyone to do it as a pastor. I'm not saying don't do it. Do it. But there's a place where they, where should tongues be used if you have the gift of tongues in your personal person. Paul says it builds you up. It's speaking mysteries to God, not men, so it builds you up. Another place is in a prayer meeting with like-minded people. Again, being sensitive to new people in your midst. That's why the whole thing is about love, and it's about self-sacrificial love. It's about preferring others above ourselves so that they don't come in and they're completely confused and freaked out because they, they don't know what you're doing. So there is a place, but again, let it be done in love. And I'm finishing with this. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? So I'm just going to apply things to give me. First Corinthians 14, read it. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I think what you do is you take the whole counsel of Scripture. Again, what does Paul teach under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit? He wrote these letters to these churches. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? You see it all over the New Testament. You see it all over the writings. Romans 8, where you know some of us memorize this stuff. Some of the topics of your Bible when you read it on day is the life in the Spirit. Romans 12, and he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Then he goes on to let love be sincere and, and, and forgive one another and, and let things be done to, to build each other up. He's talking about the spiritual life and operation. Then there's Galatians 5, of how to live in the spirit. And he, he talks about, he says, here's the, here's the works of the flesh, and he lives, makes a list. He talks sexual immorality, hatred, slander, all those things. He says, these are the works of the flesh. He says, crucify those. Put to death those things by the power of the Spirit. And then he gives, here's the work of the Spirit or the proof of the Spirit. If you want proof of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, meekness, long-suffering, self-control, the work of the Spirit. It's making us more like Jesus. 
It's testifying of Christ in our lives. That's the proof of the Spirit. Then you have Ephesians 5, where he says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, we should pray every day as we start our day. Holy Spirit, that's why we should honor Him, pray Him, worship Him. Holy Spirit, come and give me power, give me strength today. Help me to be open to divine appointments. Help me to be open to your gifts that point you to the Christ, not to me. But pray. Don't be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Live every day to be filled with the Spirit. And then in Ephesians 6, he says, pray in the Spirit. Jude 20, 1 Corinthians 14, pray in the Spirit. If you look at the Greek, he's not talking about tongues. I've historically been told that when it says pray in the Spirit, that means tongues. That's not what it means. You can do your own research. I've studied it out. I've read it. That doesn't mean tongues, though. He's not, he's not, he's not saying tongues. Can it include tongues? Sure. It's that you have that gift. But he says, pray in the Spirit. What he's saying there is pray in accordance with the Spirit, in unity with the Spirit. In other words, his prayer is not just my laundry list. Holy Spirit, help me to pray the things that are on your heart. How do you pray in the Spirit? Have you ever had those moments where you're going out your day, you're walking to the Lord, and the Lord will drop a person in your mind you haven't been thinking about? Have you ever had that? That's the move and the work of the Holy Spirit, and now you can pray and see. There's power in that. I'm not even thinking about that person. And isn't it amazing that sometimes, not always, but sometimes you get that call later on, and that so-and-so was dealing with it. Isn't that awesome? I love it when we see, and when we have our eyes open, we can see the work and the move of the Spirit all the time. It's going on all around us. Be open. Have our eyes open. Pray in the Spirit. Then you can look at the Philippians 2 life. All of this is the work in the life of the Spirit where, you know, we're told that we have the same attitude as Jesus. Take on the form of a person. Prefer others above yourself. It's counterculture and it's the work of the Spirit. It's, it's me being walked filled with the Spirit. The Colossians 3 life is another place where Paul writes. Remember, he says, put off all these things. And again, it's this list of things that we struggle with. Anger, hatred, malice, lust. Those things he says, put off those things and clothe yourself with Christ and he's a tender heart of compassion, forgiving one another, making allowance for each other. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit filled life. Walking in the Spirit, in step with the Spirit. And so this is what it means to have been baptized and filled with the Spirit is pointing to Jesus, honoring Jesus. If people are talking about us more than Jesus, something's wrong. Remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't testify himself, but of Jesus, and this must be our aim in the church. Another question that was asked is, you know, teachings on spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, the armor of God. You know, when you live in the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, you're in step with the Spirit, all the, and you're daily filled with the Spirit, that's the way you do spiritual warfare. Because what does Paul say in Galatians 5? Walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the works of the flesh. Doesn't that sound like warfare? How you fight? Walking in the Spirit? That's how you do it. You be submitted to Christ. Every day, you be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Every day, you humble yourself. You pray. You ask for power. Not power to display you. Not power to give you just gifts that people can hear us. But then you return a sin. That's another, the work and the conviction power of the Holy Spirit. 
And then out of that place again, gifts come out there. Not puffing us up, not making us look good. It just goes to one point, as I mentioned, that draws attention to Jesus, that points people to Jesus. Revelation says the spirit of prophecy is a clear testimony of Jesus Christ. All spiritual gifts should make people go, Whoa! Jesus is real. Not, Whoa! You're pretty awesome. That's our goal is that Jesus would be seen. Remember what Paul says the goal in the Corinthian church, that when unbelievers, when spiritual come in, they say, God is in your midst. God is in your life. Because it's the day-to-day, the day-to-day, the day that proves that you're walking in the Spirit. It's not perfection, but it's even repenting when you've blown it. When you're responding to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, you're being left to be filled with the Spirit. And people see how you respond. Because if, my, if I'm a walking contradiction, and I say I'm filled with the Spirit, and I'm speaking in tongues, and then I'm mean, and I'm manipulative, and I'm controlling, and I'm walking in sin, and I'm justifying my sin, there is something wrong. That does not mean I'm filled with the Spirit. If I'm walking in step with the Spirit, and then I blow it, and I trip, and I go, God, please help me, forgive me. Give me your power to walk like Christ every day. And I'm pointing people to you. That is the proof that you are walking and filled and baptized in the Spirit. Some, the ultimate manifestation of the Spirit, I desire this as a, as a man, a dad, a husband, a pastor, friend. I desire it for my family, for my marriage. I desire it for this church. That we would be filled with the Spirit. That we would walk in great humility and we would honor Jesus. That everything we would do would be for others to see Him and His work in our, in our lives. That people would be talking about Him. They would be drawn to Him. I believe that is how we are filled and baptized in the Spirit. Again, that's not for the ministry to give or their place. But let's do it in the right way. Will you stand with me? Well, we'll say that. Okay, well, thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We exalt you. Lord, our greatest desire, our greatest goal, our greatest wish, Lord God, is that you be seen in and through it, that the Holy Spirit would be in our midst, that we would be filled daily. We would pray to you. We would pray in the Spirit. We would walk in the Spirit. We would live life in the Spirit. Lord, as individuals of the church, oh God, that this region be drawn and this testimony here, oh God, would be people's hearts would be laid in. The word of the Lord would go forth and they would say, God is among you. Not for our glory, but for the glory, the fame of Jesus. And may it be so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have an awesome week. Thanks for being here.